0: At Hodder Education, we know that every geography classroom need is different, which is why we have developed a wide range of print and digital Key Stage 3, GCSE and A-Level Geography resources, written by the experts that you know and trust. Whether it's the award-winning Progress in Geography, Key Stage 3 Online Bank of Resources, or our brand new set of My Revision notes written specifically for the exam board you deliver, we have the right set of resources to support your students.
1: Visit wwwhoddereducationcouk forward slash geography today to explore more. Hello there. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by a longtime colleague and friend, David Gardner, on Jogpod. I'm not even going to attempt a resume of everything that you've done so far in terms of geography, David, because it would fill almost all of the podcast up and you wouldn't get a word in edgeways, which would be rather a first, I think. Welcome to Jogpod, David.
0: Hi John, it's great to be here. I'm an avid listener of uh, JOGPOD and it's great to have this opportunity today to talk about the geography curriculum design process and the significance of that in terms of teaching about climate
1: change. I said you were a long-time colleague and friend, but I first came across your name in the 90s, where we hadn't met, we were both teaching, I think you were in Scarborough at the time and I was in Rotherham and our department used key geography. So yours was a name that I'd come across as a, as a co-author. And then I've seen you write various textbooks and teacher guides and you've done websites and you've done so much, a variety of different things. And we finally met when I went to the Geographical Association. You'd moved to lead and manage major curriculum research projects as part of your work at QCA. And I was just doing a little bit of research. It's a bit of a nightmare, this, I'm afraid, but we both started teaching in 1977, which gives us 88 years, I think, <laughs> of being involved in geography teaching. Bit of a shocker, really, isn't it?
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, thanks for sharing
0: that, John. <laughs> it's a lot of change being packed in to those 80-odd years, a lot of change, Summarised very neatly, I think, not pulling any punches by Margaret Roberts in, I think it was a 2018 article about uh, the impact of 25 years of centralization on education. And I think that's some very interesting points she makes in that article, particularly about the frequency of curriculum change and what she calls the pervasive accountability culture uh, and the impact that's had on a truncated education experience for young people, which is Quite a damning indictment to those 25 years, but we've sort of
1: lived, worked through that, John. It's interesting because part of the centralization, I suppose, is the work that you did at QCA, but I never saw it as that. I thought it was innovative and exciting, and it challenged teachers, challenged me to start thinking about things, honestly, in a different way. And I'd been teaching quite a while, but it, it posed questions at us to think about how effective we were being and how did we know would that be fair? Is that what you were trying to achieve?
0: Yeah, uh, very much so. I think the problem with centralisation is it can lead to misconception by the time it filters through the education system into schools and things can be misinterpreted. And I think that's a key key point that, uh, that Margaret's making in her article. Teachers during those 25 years, I think, have lost sight of the key aspect of their job which is designing a curriculum. 12 years of national strategies, for example, focused on the how of teaching, not the why and the what. And so what's statutory and what's not statutory from a centralised system became confusing. What we tried to do at QCA was cut through that and work with schools to encourage them to be creative with the curriculum design process.
1: Of course, both of us started before there was a national curriculum, and, yeah. <laughs> and both of us in Sheffield with uh, with a fantastic library because the Geographical Association then had a building that was owned by Sheffield University, but it was a, a sort of a stone-built house that had been owned by I suppose by one of the one of the steelmakers, and the Fleur Library was in there, and there were books about curriculum in geography then, which is. Where I got my inspiration from, people have said to me, "What did you do before the National Curriculum?" Well, I think I went to the Geographical Association, and uh, there was a lot of support. And you've you've actually been involved with the Geographical Association from almost from the beginning, haven't you? Yes,
0: I, I was uh, a member, as you say, when I trained. Used the Fleur Library. As a, as a new teacher, very interestingly, I had a department who said to me, pretty much the first week, you're responsible for year seven. You decide what the curriculum is and you develop all the teaching and learning resources. bit naughty for a probationary teacher, but it was a fantastic, absolutely fantastic learning experience. But I, I've been involved with uh, three, three working groups with the GA. I was seconded to the GA for a day a week with the demise of uh, QCDA and chair of the education group for six years and a trustee of, of the GA. So I've had an ongoing involvement with the with the GA, now a, a GA consultant and an author of a about to be published book on
1: curriculum design. Oh, yes. We'll yeah. talk about that later. <laughs> you talk about the demise of QCDA. And um, after that, that would have left you in um I would think it would have been quite a difficult time because you'd had such a powerful role. I've, I've watched you opening conferences with, the, with keynote speeches. It took you then, didn't it, to Goldsmiths and involvement with PGCE students, which must have been a, a difference, but an exciting difference to go and change
0: to. Exhilarating. So I went from national policy level to real grassroots developing new teachers almost overnight. An Absolutely amazing experience because you, you have very intelligent, hardworking, enthusiastic young people who really want to learn how to be a teacher, particularly galvanized into action when they start their first placement. And all they want to know at that stage is about behavior management. But you watch them grow over a period of, 10 months you watch them grow and develop and become really excellent practitioners in the classroom and I'm still in touch with with some trainees and know how successful they've become. Going from the
1: policy level has also allowed you to help other countries look at their curricula hasn't it so I I know you I I volunteered to carry your bags one time I think because you were um, (laughs) you were heading off to Kazakhstan but you've been involved in a number of curriculum development support work across several countries, didn't you?
0: Yeah, th- that really started when I was at QCA because one of my responsibilities, as well as National League for Geography, was cross-curricular dimensions, and in particular, the global dimension and sustainable development. So quite early on, I got an invitation, I think in my first year at QCA, I got an inv- invitation from Action Aid to go to India, and I went with a bunch of visiting teachers and came back and was really enthusiastic about the significance of developing a global dimension in the curriculum. And went to to Jordan, Kuwait, South Africa and um, Indonesia, uh, working with teachers across different countries, sharing ideas about curriculum and curriculum design. And also on top of that, we had lots of delegations from different countries. uh, And when they came to visit QCA, I was the person selected to talk to them about our curriculum and how it links and how it's different to their curriculum. So I became immersed in looking at curriculum and curriculum design and assessment across a range of countries. And then that's continued in in my university work. So when I moved from Goldsmiths to UCL IOE, part of that job was an ongoing project uh, in Kazakhstan. Working with teachers in Kazakhstan to design a curriculum, for, for, well, to design a textbook, actually, across 10 different subjects. So 10 of us went out from IOE, working with teachers to think about how to design a textbook to best support teachers on something. A curriculum was very different to what they had had before.
1: One of the interesting things that you've done, from my perspective, was to to use ICT really effectively in the geography classroom and to get me to think about how better to bring all those resources into the classroom. When I first started, I suppose, and you'd be the same, we had a textbook, we had a blackboard, and we had some colored chalk, but it opens up geography to a whole new world of information. It's also difficult to know how to use it, but that was one of the things that you did at QCDA.
0: Well, as a, as a teacher, I one of my jobs in a school in Scarborough was I was actually head of humanities and ICT coordinator at the same time, basically because I developed, I came to realise, uh, I had this sort of light bulb moment when I realised that actually IT will transform the way you teach. And in a subject like geography that's about real people and real places, IT, the interactive whiteboard, brings and the internet brings the, the world real people real places as a sort of a portal into your classroom i remember in one of these jog pods you were talking to somebody about how you used to get the weather forecast by phoning metfax yes i used to do the same thing so you used to phone them and, and the satellite image would come out you'd burn it off onto an overhead transparency and show look at this this is the latest satellite image and, and I suppose one of the things I'm envious about, that I'm not a teacher now, is how readily available that information is. Just go on the website map web, and see it animated. Uh, it just really brings it all to life. Go to Google Earth and see the world. So start with a view of the school, type in whatever it is where you're studying. Let's say it's Kazakhstan, type it in. Up, up it comes, zooms out to the globe view, zooms down to the place, instantly developing locational knowledge. It's fantastic. Absolutely amazing what you can do now with with, with IT. And I, I think it also transforms the way you think, but it comes with problems. So understanding websites and who's behind websites and the points of view that are being portrayed in a website, not taking them face value, I think is really important. And a key component for me of uh, thinking like a geographer is developing critical thinking skills to consider the provenance of that soundbite that you're looking at on the internet, that viewpoint that's being presented.
1: Yes, always check and see who else is saying something similar getting them to think about different sources, a number of different ones, a different range.
0: It's great for language as well. So st- studying the, the, the Amazon, looking at what's happening in the Amazon, and I like to use political cartoons, and I came across this political cartoon looking at deforestation, and um, the text on it, Well, oh, I can't understand that, sir. Well, why is that? It's in Portuguese. And one of the things we've done traditionally in teaching geography is teach that gives them sort of misconception to pupils that everybody speaks english the internet opens that up same with time zones around the world look at a rutting volcano and it's just the image is black on a webcam well why is that because it's bright sunshine here so there's all sorts of ways that it really opens up a, a much more much clearer much more holistic
1: understanding of the world but then it does present a lot of challenges, doesn't it? Because there are so many different things that are coming into your teach. That was so easy. That that, that example of mine that, that I I just put that to them. We put ten. I shouldn't say this, but we put ten pence each in. When's it going to rain? When that front comes over, and uh, I get a phone call later on that evening. That's me. I did it, sir. It was mine. I, that was so much simpler than all these these elements that c- can come in as a, as a consequence of what you're doing, but as a, as an unintended consequence. It, it makes it a challenging time for geography teachers. It's exciting, but it's challenging because you've got to think about all those other extraneous things that are happening around your teaching when you open this up to stories or to pictures or to information that's, you haven't tied it down like you would do perhaps on a, in a, on a worksheet. You've got whole wealth of things that they're interrogating all at the same time I think that's what I'm trying to say it it, it gives them lots to look at it also makes it difficult for you as a teacher to be thinking what well, do I want them to get out of this there's a whole wealth of, of information well that that question what do you want to get out of
0: it that's the crucial question what is it you're trying to achieve it's the basic premise of curriculum design it's what often they call intent what's intent what's the intent what you're trying to achieve at different scales. So strategically, medium term, and in an individual lesson, what you're trying to achieve. And that, if you think, if you use that question all the time, that allows you to focus more clearly. Yeah, there are lots of things that people will be confronted with. Margaret talks about beginning a lesson by creating, uh, Margaret Roberts, creating a need to know. And I've watched some trainee teachers have this fantastic resource absolutely fantastic resource that they use and it falls flat and they go "Well, that was a fantastic resource but it clearly didn't engage I said well the resource is the resource it's your job as the teacher to make it engaging to bring it to life to give it purpose and to give the whole lesson purpose as a result
1: so that's for me
0: that's the excitement of the job of teaching
1: and it doesn't have to be whiz bang it just has to be intriguing no. it has to be something that they they're encouraged to think about it. I've seen Margaret do that with uh, mm. relatively simple resources. But the question is intriguing and draws people in. It's not all whizzy bang, bells and whistles. Right. You can do it with, with very simple resources. One of the
0: best ones I saw was what my trainee bought a dress in. It bought it out of a plastic bag. And she talks about how much, how much do you think I paid for this dress? And it was a, a knockoff of a designer dress that was for some film star that was, I don't know, I'd say £10,000 actually. But then she told them that she got this dress when she worked in Hong Kong and she explained that. Well, the transformational thing in that lesson was that she said that she'd worked in Hong Kong. That's what drew the students in because their questions was about from that, well, what was it like? What was it like in Hong Kong? And how come that they produced this dress so
1: cheaply? So it's the way in which you use it that's important. You've talked quite a lot in the past about the inertia of the old way of thinking, which was sort of data-driven. And rather than looking at the the whole development and looking backwards from GCSE, you've talked about building and uh, planning for pupil progress from the beginning. And when we first talked about that, I found that really quite interesting. You can look at the way that some schools set out their curriculum, they'll do things in a different order. I'm I'm not entirely sure that uh, the thinking that that underpins it, the progress that underpins it, is sometimes as strong as it could be. But you spend a lot of time thinking about knowledge and how that builds skills and how that builds and how those two interact to develop an effective curriculum. There's there's been a... um a blog
0: recently, an Ofsted blog, where they're talking about what we're actually asking is quite simple. What is it you're trying to achieve? What's your curriculum intent? And how do you know that pupils have achieved it? That might be a simple question, but the process by which you do it's not simple. When you've had a, an education system that's not in alignment, not been necessarily coherent, and that's driven schools into a situation what David Mitchell calls it hyper-socialised schools, where they, they don't focus on being curriculum makers because they're in a system that's data-driven. National curriculum had levels, a separate system to the curriculum. The curriculum section of the national curriculum outlined the content, and then you had this separate level structure. GCSE has got the specification, and then you've got the exam. These things are separate. And in the day-to-day mindset in schools, they see them as separate. But getting rid of levels provides the opportunity to see the curriculum differently, to see the curriculum as the progression framework. So once you start going through that process, it's a bit like trainees. So when a trainee first goes in, starts teaching, they focus on a lesson plan and they plan one lesson you need to get them support them to a situation where they see that actually it's a sequence of lessons that they're planning and that sequence of lessons has a a narrative to get pupils to where you want them to get to in terms of their progress and when you think of that for the whole curriculum you need some sort of progression strands to hold units of work
1: together that was the, the thinking behind the, the Progress in Geography book, the Hodder book, was that right? This idea of how we could develop and progress through the knowledge. It was one of the most difficult things I've done, I think. Because you, you edited that and I wrote a couple of chapters and I, you kept saying to me, no, you can't do this now because that hasn't happened then. it hasn't. You had a picture in your head of the whole thing. And I was just doing a couple of chapters and trying to fit it in and not getting it right to begin with. But ultimately, it's uh, really satisfying. It It was a substantial project. Would I be right? That was your thinking behind it. I think it's an amazing resource. But to think through the whole of the key stage three so that they weren't faced with something that was where we were assuming knowledge. You created a framework for building that. In a systematic, logical way, so we could measure progress, but we could also look at progress in terms of knowledge, but progress in terms of skills too. Well, since 2005, my time at
0: QCA, my time teacher training, the consultancy work that I've been doing, I've worked with literally hundreds and hundreds of schools, teachers around the world. And the sort of things that the point that's raised on a regular basis is that. We don't have time to plan the curriculum. Uh, We have these topics that we have. We we inherited it when I started here. I inherited this Key Stage 3 curriculum. We've got our favourite topics that we teach. And it's all, uh, all the thinking is on content. The thinking is about just different topics with different year groups, not standing back and saying, well, what are we trying to achieve here? So, what the idea that I had that I took to, to Hodder Education was a, a book called Progress in Geography, because that's why we're teachers, isn't it? There's a, the famous quote um, about progression, and it's about, well, if pupils don't make progress, what are we actually doing? So, progress, really important. But what does that progress look like? And although the GA's published some guidance about progression and what progression looks like if you talk to a group of teachers you'll get different responses to what they think that is so we put an author team together and I said well let's I, I said to Honda let's we'll be a department and I'm I'm the head of department and we've got teachers from uh, different stages in their in their career experience some teachers some teachers who haven't been teaching that long uh, like Ellie who was one of my uh, trainees at, uh, at the institute and we had the department meeting and at this department meeting, we said, well, what are we trying to achieve in this book? So we came up with a vision. So the vision is presented as an open flap in the book because a vision is to be shared with pupils. Uh, so that vision is what you're trying to achieve. And there are activities that permeate the book that take pupils back to that vision. Because if, if pupils are going to make progress, they need to be aware, as well as the teachers using uh, the book needs to be aware is is what the end goal is, what the end goal for that key stage is. So we started in that way. We then decided we did a card sort activity. Well, these are the potential topics. Let's put them into some sort of logical sequence that will best support pupils to make progress in terms of where we want them to be. So we went through that process. Development was in year nine. So, so that's after unit 10. Africa was uh, one of the first topics, and I'm going, well, how's that going to work? You can't have development at Unit 11 because that's a concept that you you have to introduce quite early on. Economy was another one that was was in Year 9. You you can't have economy as a concept in Year 9 because you've got to introduce to, to students what economy is. If they're going to understand globalization, if they're going to understand development, uh, there's a connection between an evolving economy and population. The place units uh, are really need to be placed strategically because through studying a continent like Africa or Asia or a region like the Middle East, you can progress concepts that you've introduced like population, population change migration. You can progress them within a context of a continent and see how they interlink. Now, for me, interconnection, interlink, is the real threshold concept that helps pupils to achieve the vision. And the vision for progress in geography is is about thinking like a geographer. So first unit in the book is about what is a geographer. The final unit in the book is What's the future for the planet, i.e. looking at climate change, from the lens of being a geographer? So the whole book is carefully sequenced. And there are activities, say, in a chapter on Asia that refers people back and use geographical data that's in an earlier chapter. So the world map that shows population distribution is used in future units. So we sequenced that curriculum. Uh, This is well before Ofsted began their curriculum research uh, and came up with their their mantra about the coherent sequenced curriculum. But also I listened to the issues that teacher had said. So we have detailed schemes of work for each unit. We have 150 lesson plans for each unit because sequencing and coherence needs to operate at the big picture. So becoming a geographer, to the final unit that pulls all that learning together. So that's a strategic inquiry. Each medium-term plan, each unit of work has responsibilities for a chunk of the learning to progress pupils to where you want them to be in terms of being uh, thinking like a geographer. Uh, and lesson plans, because a medium-term plan or a unit is a, a sequence of lessons, Each lesson has a sequence. An inquiry, if you're gonna think like a geographer, you need to investigate as a matter of routine. You need to have to have the ability to interpret geographical data uh, and be presented with geographical data as a matter of routine. So there are no illustrations in progress in geography that are there as wallpaper. Every single resource in the book whether it be a big flap of an ordnance survey map or it be an aerial photograph or it be a political cartoon is placed with precision by the authors and the activities are there to make sense of that that geographical data so for instance there are 26 ordnance survey maps in progress and geography 59 atlas maps uh, and all up to date uh, and will be updated again in the future, supported by a PowerPoint presentation for each lesson with up-to-date resources, and now over 700 web links to enhance the resources that are in the book.
1: So, yeah, it was a challenge. It's actually, <laughs> yeah. To be right. Yeah, more, more for you than me. I only had two bits. But it's a massive change in thinking about the job of teaching. I took a lot from the Geographical Association when I first started before the, the national curriculum, But I'm I'm not sure, even until I I got involved with that with you, that I thought enough about sequencing. Just one example. I used to teach the A-level physical geography, partly because nobody else wanted to do it. When AS came in, the glaciation units became an AS unit rather than in A2, as far as I remember. And it was always the one that the students had liked most had done really well in i moved it to uh, the lower sixth and suddenly i had students who were really struggling and i couldn't work out why i didn't know what i had done differently but of course it was in a different it was in a different place so we i hadn't thought about the curriculum making element of it where these things fall i just moved it, lock, stock and barrel, and shifted it, and thought, it'll work here. And, of course, it doesn't, sometimes, anyway. So it's just a a huge change in thinking about teaching and about curriculum-making. I think you've used this phrase, curriculum-making becoming a way of life.
0: Yeah, I mean, Charles uh, Roding, in an article years ago in Teaching Geography, talks about holistic, I think it was called Holistic Geographies, and he said, if you don't plan for coherence, then how does the curriculum geography go? What does geography as a subject present to pupils? Because you know, one week you're doing volcanoes, next week you're doing population, they don't get what geography is as a subject, and that's our job because uh, and we're telling a story, it's a narrative. Um, you're planning a narrative. My, my wife read a the Goldfinch by uh, Donna Tartt. She thought it's a fantastic, absolutely fantastic book. Loved it. So um, we went to see. I, I hadn't read it, so we went to see the film when it when it came out. And I couldn't make Edna Taylor of this film. I I, I I I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> Who's that? What what? Why has that happened? And um, we came out, and I said, I thought you said this was this was really really good story. Well. If you've not read the book, it's problematic. And because the, the film director sequenced the story in a different way to the book, the film didn't have any coherence that the book had. So if you want pupils in your design curriculum to think like a geographer, to have a locational matrix of places in the world, to develop a range of skills... Regardless where they're going to do GCSE, for life, basically, for the next stage they're learning and for life, if you want them to have a holistic understanding of the world, you need to plan a coherent curriculum story with a clear purpose, clarifying how each unit of work contributes to where you want them to be at the end
1: of that phase of learning. So... To recover from writing the, the, the couple of chapters and uh, <laughs> getting my head around what you needed, I, I spent lockdown cycling <laughs> and doing physical things. Um, you, um, you carried on with this thinking. You've been writing, I know you've been writing an online course that will explore ideas about everything that we've just been speaking about, quality, geography, education, what thinking geography geographically looks like. How to design an effective curriculum that sequences appropriately and allows for that progression. And you've brought in Ofsted's curriculum research, which you've mentioned a couple of times. And, and you, you're pulling all those ideas together now, aren't you, in, a, in another book? Yep, it's due out anytime now. Here we are in December,
0: it's due out anytime now. Probably if you're listening to this, it, it's actually come out. Planning your coherence 11 to 16 geography curriculum, a design toolkit. For me, this has pulled together pretty much all I've learned in all those phases that we've talked about from starting off in teaching, working at QCA, teacher education, talking to schools around the world about about their curriculum. Pulls it together in one place because that's the problem for teachers having everything in one place. This is what I've tried to do, make it helpful, pull thinking in one place. So the book divides into two sections. First section is an overview of theory about curriculum. What's curriculum? What does it mean? It means different things to different people. How's the idea of curriculum evolved? What's progression? What does progression look like? What have we been through? Because one of the reasons why we all have a different perception of curriculum is because we're influenced by the stages of education that we've been through. It will colour our view on what curriculum is. So that's explained. The ideas of geography educators uh, are explained. The really pivotal role of key GA publications like the manifesto, launching ideas about the grammar Of geography and the vocabulary of geography, thinking about concepts and and what's their important role in designing a curriculum, ideas about place, ideas about inquiry and the the importance of inquiry. The guidance section of the book is built around a design process, a seven-step curriculum design process that uses the intent, implementation and impact, the I words that Ofsted uh, use. But it's really based on some thinking we did at QCA, a, a process of disciplined innovation. So you begin by creating a vision. What is it you're trying to achieve? And there are tools, design tools and activities to support you thinking about what your vision might look like. What's your starting point? What are your pupils like now? What can they do and can't do? So what do you need to focus on in in your curriculum intent? So set some goals for that. And then design your curriculum. All of that is what Offset calls curriculum intent. So sequencing your units of work to best support pupils to where they want to be. Assign um, responsibilities for your three progression strands. And these three progression strands come from a lovely little pamphlet that I helped with, John Hopkins led on about a progression framework, which you can, if you're a GA member, you can download from the GA website that identifies these three progression strands like world locational knowledge, understanding concepts, and skills. And they are the, they're the aims of the national curriculum, and they then permeate into the AOs of GCSE, and then they also flow into the AOs available. Because one of the advantages schools have got now is that progression is built in to the DFE documents. So by going back to those DFE documents, the GCSE subject content, the national curriculum, and the A-level subject content, the progression that's built into the documents and therefore the specifications is outlined. And the third section of the book are case studies. I've worked with five schools over a period of a year working on how they've developed their curriculum. So they, they tell their curriculum story. This is the way we did it. This is how we approached intent. Here is our intent. This is how they, we then implemented the curriculum to bring that intent to life. These are some of the things that we've learned from that process. And now we're thinking about impacts. How do we know our curriculum has been successful? What measures are we gonna put into place? So there's a link between, in the guidance, there are tools on how to do that. And then in the case studies chapter, teachers explain how they've actually done that. But where they are now, it's only a snapshot in time. It's not even where they are now, it's where they are about nearly a year ago in terms of that design process they went through.
1: It's only small changes sometimes that can make something very effective or not work, which is what you were saying much earlier on about watching one of your, your teachers. My two, my two boys went through the same two schools, but with change in, in leadership, in geography. My eldest son went through and said, no offence, Dad, I know what you do. I'm not going to do geography. I can't see the point. And the younger one coming through with a different vision and a restructuring not completely throwing everything out, then going on to do geography at university and a masters and now an environmental consultant. It's, it was the difference between I can't see the point and I see my progression going through here it was about the clarity of thought of the teachers, I think, with what are we doing and why are we doing it? And that, that made a big difference for, for both of them. But still a lot of the work was the same, it had just been rejigged and rethought and repurposed so that it it had that meaning, that sequence which you talked about. And that's really really important.
0: It is. And if you are successful as a school and with a successful curriculum, you have a curriculum that has coherence for the students. That's what the coherence for. It's not for Ofsted it's coherence for the student. They get why they're studying geography. And I don't think there's ever been a more compelling time to have geographical understanding. Climate change, the spread of COVID is all related to geography concepts. And, and it also when you watch politicians and scientists explaining the spread of COVID and using maps, not necessarily that well, to explain patterns around the country, you realise why geography is such a vital subject and that spatial thinking
1: is so fundamental in the world today. Spatial thinking and and using statistics effectively. I, I keep seeing things that people post on Twitter where a set of data has been really badly presented on a graph statistically. And it, it's difficult to make head and a tail out of what they're doing. It's been a topic, of course, the climate crisis has been a topic in all these podcasts in this series. And we've also spoken about it in previous podcasts. I've spoken to, to Kit in the past. Kit talks about the climate crisis causing climate anxiety. And it could be seen as a, as a safeguarding issue for those students who are taking, who, who are getting really concerned. And I've also seen people talking about just doing what? Well, I did a one off lesson or I did this or I did that. It, it needs to be effectively integrated into the curriculum to allow them to make informed decisions without feeling overly anxious about what's happening. Where do you see it sequencing? Well, it, it was very interesting listening to
0: um, Tim Daly, uh, Dr. Tim Daly, and Kate Stockings on a, a recent Jog Pod. And Kate was talking about where you sequence it and and where you do it. And she admitted she didn't have an answer. Katie Walter, on a previous jog pod as well, talked about building blocks in the curriculum. And I very much agree with that philosophy of, of building blocks. You, you have to build blocks. You have to build foundation, knowledge and understanding before you can successfully introduce the idea of climate change. When, when we were writing different units some of the teachers wanted to write about climate change in their unit. So I'm saying, nope, nope, we're not writing about climate change there. Climate change is unit 15. It's the concluding unit. We can talk about some of the, we can write about and get students to understand some of the things that are happening in the world, but we're not actually going to refer to climate change. Now, some people see that as different. I've seen some schools curriculum where they do climate change in year seven, And the principles of weather and climate in year nine, that makes no sense to me whatsoever. You have to introduce the concepts of weather. You have to introduce the concepts of climate. These are building blocks to understand what's happening. What worries me now is that at GCSE, you've got extreme weather. So teachers, oh, extreme weather. I'll teach extreme weather in key stage three in preparation for GCSE. So you never actually do. The principles of how weather works. You just do extremes. And that's unhelpful, because you have to line up and sequence your building blocks. So we made the decision with Progress in Geography to make climate change the last unit. If the first unit in the book is, what's a geographer? The final unit in the book is, what's the future of the planet? Do you think? What are your views? thinking like a geographer. So in a sense, this brings Key Stage 3 to a conclusion. For those students who don't go on to study geography at GCSE level, they need to know about climate. We all need to know about climate change. Mm. For those who do, it's one of the topics of GCSE. So it's a sort of a bridge between phases of learning. But for me, as a result of COP26, the government as part of the process, launched a a paper about teaching climate change. And it's about delivering knowledge. They use these words, delivering knowledge. It's about how they, a lot of it is about science education. I mean, basically, they're talking about science, geography and citizenship in their thinking. It's about how the earth works. That's nowhere near good enough, as far as I'm concerned. And there's a very interesting statement they make as concerned about, not creating campaign groups it's about knowledge well i I think it's far more than knowledge it's about understanding it's about understanding of the dynamics of how we've got into the position that we've got ourselves in and the planet it's about glaciation ice is melting why is ice melting it's about how the earth's spheres interact principles of weather and climate about how we use natural resources it's about the economics belief of development, economic development of the planet. It's about trade. It's about globalization. It's about world population. It's about world population growth because all those things are in the mix. We, we all strive for a quality of life that's been in sand with economic development that's in sand because the consequences, those interactions of the earth are changing. And as a result, our way of life is changing. So this requires understanding because what the role that and our geography, there's no other subject that can develop that holistic view of what's happening on the planet to inform people so they better understand what's happening. So a lot of a lot of protesters, a lot of campaigners, their reaction to, to COP is, well. I thought it was going to be sorted. I think I've heard Casey saying this recently. She went back to school. I think it was in that jog pod. Went back to school. You've been banging on about this, and but we're nowhere further on. But it's understanding getting further on is complex because we're so far down a line in the way in which the world operates, then unpicking that is not going to happen overnight. So for me, teaching climate change is a is a time for reflection on all you've learnt at key stage three so one of the things we did do in the book was we identified lots of different geographical data and put a little cc in the bottom corner somewhere of that resource and there's an activity in the final chapter where they have to the pupils break into groups and go finding cc geographical data We have dropped a trail of breadcrumbs running through the book. That trail of breadcrumbs are bits of geographical data that are actually either, CC stands for climate change, but it also stands for cause or consequence. So the pupils go back, find the geographical data. And firstly, why is it to do with climate change? Is it a cause of climate change or is it a consequence of climate change? And they, as geographers, Need to explain that. And that, they're also involved in some independent inquiry, looking at Antarctica and what happens, what's happened to Antarctica, what's the future in terms of climate change for the UK. And it, you can really develop that unit because it's building on everything that happened before. And it's making pupils reflect as well on their understanding of
1: development. They start to question it. It's very difficult, then, to not be political. In fact, it's impossible. You have to be political. And the government, at the moment, are very upset with that idea. But we have to challenge growth because we, we know in geography we can't continue to grow. We're using more than the planet's resources. We have to go political. How far teachers take that is a real personal dilemma for some teachers. There'll be geographers who say we're not going anywhere near far enough in moving our students to becoming activists and on the other hand we've got the government challenging that and saying you're not you're not there to make activists you're there to fill knowledge I think that's a real difficult dilemma and perhaps geographers although climate change should be in physics it should be in craft design technology it should be all over the curriculum it's it's a real Difficult one for geography teachers, I think, to come to terms with that.
0: Your job pod on um, the Interclimate Network, was that Michaela Critchley who, who did that? That The Interclimate Network's got some amazing resources on, on their website, absolutely amazing. And it reminds me of BBC News Report, but that students do in March each year. It reminds me of that because it's a fantastic way to teach where you put the students in roles so they become a, a press team and they tell a story and there's, there's similar resources campaign resources on the interclimate website where where they have a discussion they have a classroom discussion and classroom discussions are key components of teaching geography talking like a geographer as well well as thinking like a geographer that leads to writing as a geographer and um i think Embedding those sorts of approaches in the way you implement a curriculum to create, help create thinking geographers are are really important. So, yes, it is about politics. Politics are involved in this process. And if you've been successful, you'll have global citizens who take their responsibilities of global citizenship really seriously and will hold governments to account.
1: Who were, uh, David? it <laughs> really is going to challenge some people who listen to that, but I think you're, you're exactly right. That's what students, young people, should be doing, and that's... Well, what's what critical more... thinking for? Yes, that's what the more informed students are doing. But people think. Exactly. They don't take...
0: They, they look at different points of view and come to their own judgment about where they sit in those points of view. And... In a a democracy, a government should take note, do, so they say, take note of what people think. And there's a growing number. And this is where the younger generation are beginning to have an impact. Uh, Greta Thunberg from Sweden, Vanessa Nakati from Uganda are expressing their views using social media and influencing people on a global scale about what needs to happen because
1: they're rightly saying it's their future. Yes, it is. And I think very uplifting to think that geography is the place where we are maybe our best placed to develop students to have that sort of informed understanding. This uh, we I used to do um, a
0: session when I was at QCA called Opportunities and Challenges for Geography. Well We've just encompassed the challenge and the opportunity, but what an opportunity, what an amazing opportunity for the next generation of youngsters in schools to be aware of the awesome purpose of our subject that's going to affect them throughout their lives and develop a real understanding, a spatial awareness, a critical thinking to, to come to informed judgments about, and influence people in where we might go in the future and it's
1: very pressing that we do that I don't think I could top that David I think that's a summary that's that's a very uplifting one about geography and its place in the curriculum it's been fascinating talking to you again today as it always is thank you very much for joining us on job Pod. it's been thank a great you, session really enjoyed it